Backchat. 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 Politics and current affairs. Backchat. 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 Your alternative to talk back. It's Saturday, December 12th, and you're listening to Backchat, where we break down the news you don't want to miss. Before we begin today, we'd like to acknowledge the traditional custodians of the Gadigal land and pay our respects to Elders past, present and future. I'm Chantelle Alcori. And I'm Shami Sivasubramanian. First up, we're joined by New South Wales Green MP and founder of Sniff Off, David Shoebridge. He'll be speaking about how the proposed three-strike drug policy uh, and what it means to you. After that, we're speaking to the head of Harm Reduction Australia, Gino Vumbaka, about the, about the future of pill testing in New South Wales. And as always, we want to hear from you. What do you think about the caution system for being caught with drugs? Let us know by texting in on 0409 945 945 or tweet us at BackchatFBI. Last week, we heard whispers about a proposed three-strike policy to depenalise drug possession in New South Wales. The policy, which has since been flagged by the New South Wales Cabinet, would mean that if you're caught with a personal quantity of drugs, you'd be given a warning on the first occasion and then fined on the second and third time. But Premier Gladys Berejiklian has said she will not support these new drug laws, nor will her government go down that path. In Australia, police use what's called a threshold quantity, which varies from drug to drug to determine whether a charge is for personal use or can be considered trafficking. For example, in New South Wales, the trafficable quantity of MDMA is 0.75 grams or more. James, whose name has been changed for privacy reasons, knows this reality all too well. So I was going to a gig in Sydney and when I rocked up at the train station, there was police. Coppers asked if I had any drugs on me, which I straight away told them I did. I got charged with drug supply there and then. When the cops weigh it, they weigh it in whatever it's in. So if it's in like a massive sandwich bag, they don't take them out of the sandwich bag. So the bigger the saddie, the more weight's in it, including the plastic capsule shell. So I was actually charged with supply, but when I got the lawyer, he made the police actually just weigh the, the drug, not everything else. After that, I got brought down to a personal use. Arguments in support of a three-strike policy cite that it would take a lot of pressure off local and district courts, who are currently dealing with an overload of low-level drug possession cases. In fact, from 2010 to 2019, we've seen a 73% increase in the number of people appearing in courts on drug possession charges. Um, I had to go to court, which took months and months and months of being adjourned and whatnot. It took about a, maybe close to a year. Some fear that easing drug laws could just be a step towards decriminalisation and will send the message of the acceptance of drug use. This has, of course, reignited the controversial debate surrounding drug use and possession. From 2001 to 2019, there's actually been a 37% reduction in the amount of young people aged 18 to 24 using any illicit drug. And earlier this year, a special commission of inquiry report condemned our current drug laws, calling them tired and ineffective. It also called for pill testing, the end of sniffer dogs at festivals, and an expansion of medically supervised injection rooms in New South Wales. It did happen to me. It did bring me back down a lot. So with the, even with a warning, I feel like I would have it would have pulled me up. So it scared me heaps. You know, I was lucky because I had the money, but. If other people don't have the money to get a lawyer and fight for you, you could just potentially ruin your whole entire life for for a small amount of drugs. 
To speak with us more about the new drug penalties currently being considered by the state government is New South Wales Greens member David Shoebridge. David, thanks for joining us. Yeah, no worries. Good to talk about this. So has an approach like this been tried in Australia before? Yeah, well, I mean, the fact is New South Wales is really at the back of the pack. Um, We've seen laws very similar to this um, being applied in the ACT now for a couple of years. Um, They've undoubtedly had a positive impact, especially among young people. There's been no identifiable change in, um, in the level of drug use in the ACT. We've seen not dissimilar things um, in Victoria and South Australia. Um, so, and, and if you look around the rest of the world, you know, this is really playing in the shallows. We've had substantially more progressive reforms in other parts of the world. But, yeah, we've seen it play out in other parts of the, the country and it's had positive impacts. And could you outline the difference between depenalisation and decriminalisation? Well, decriminalisation would effectively say you can never be Uh, dragged into the criminal justice system simply because you've got a a personal use amount of drugs upon you. Um, uh, Decriminalisation treats it as effectively like a minor traffic infringement, um, which doesn't go on your criminal record, doesn't impact your your ability to obtain employment, doesn't impact your ability to travel. Whereas depenalisation, which is a a fairly new and novel term, (laughs) depenalisation means that um, the first three times you're found... um, with drugs upon you, uh, at small quantities of drugs upon you, you get fines, um, but then after that you get caught up in the criminal justice system. Interesting. So uh, do you reckon these changes could lead to a bigger shift in the state government's attitudes towards drug reform? Well, I mean, we've already seen the government pull back from a really, really modest initial proposal, which was warning, warning, fine. Um, they've pulled back up on, from that and now they've gone to fine a, a proposal of fine, 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 then court. Um, so I don't think this is, this is... I don't think we're seeing a revolution inside the coalition government. But, but what I would see this, this approach as is a, a baby step towards much, much more comprehensive and necessary drug law reforms. I mean, the Greens are very clear. We need broad-ranging decriminalisation um, for drugs a- across the board for personal possession. And we should be legalising and regulating the supply of cannabis and MDMA. But, I mean, this is nowhere near that. And why do you think the government is now considering these changes after pursuing such a hardline approach for so long? Well, the government has basically snookered itself. This isn't some sort of big internal, you know, uh, progressive revolution in the coalition government. Um, The better part of two years ago, when there was huge pressure on the government um, uh, following the ice, uh, the, the increase in ice use in regional New South Wales, following a series of deaths at music festivals, the, the government uh, launched its own ice inquiry and then handpicked the panel to sit on that ice inquiry. And um, 18 months ago, they got the recommendations. And decriminalisation for personal possession was one of the recommendations, the massive increase um, in, um, in, in, in in rehabilitation services, a pulling back of policing, a pulling back of drug dogs. That was the recommendation from the government's own hand-picked ICE inquiry. They've been sitting on that for 18 months and they've had to respond to it. So they're responding to it now as as gently and um, um, inconsequentially as possible so that they've created this for themselves. 
You're listening to Back Chat on FBI Radio. We're speaking to New South Wales Greens MP David Shoebridge about the new state government's proposal to introduce a tiered penalty system for low-level drug possessions. And we've actually been sent in a voice memo from Jess in the eastern suburbs. Let's have a listen. I still feel like it doesn't potentially address like full context in which someone might be, you know, a drug user. It might not think about, you know, socioeconomic value things that have led to that. It might not really help. I mean, we don't have a three strike, you know, tobacco or alcohol. So uh, on that note, David, what kind of outcomes do you expect changes like this would lead to both individuals and possibly to the wider community? Well, I've got to say, Jess is, is really on the money. Um, what, what we're likely to see is that people, that part of the community that is already massively over-policed, and here I'm particularly thinking, you know, Aboriginal people, Aboriginal young people in particular, um, uh, you know, uh, poorer communities, um, those parts of the community that are already massively over-policed, well, they're going to work through their three strikes pretty quickly because they're constantly being stopped and searched by police. And therefore you're probably not going to see a significant change or a significant positive impact amongst those communities. They're still going to get caught up in a criminal justice system. Uh, this, this policy seems to be aimed at providing um, the greater amount of relief to, I would say, sort of middle-class and upper-middle-class people in society. People who rarely get caught up by police may get found once or twice. So um, you can see how this kind of policy, as Jess says, is very much... Um, is very much a coalition policy designed to help their supporters and help their members and still allow the police to continually aggressively um, over-police Aboriginal people in poorer communities. Yeah, speaking of over-policing, will we still see that in regards to recreational and low-level drug use if it is introduced? Well, you'd hope that this would feed into a changing in police conduct, wouldn't you? If if, if their huge police drug dog efforts at music festivals are only going to end up getting a couple of fines instead of, you know, what police see as more valuable, forcing people into the, into the courts. You'd hope that they would, they would change their policing strategies and pull back. But there, there's nothing inherently in this that will see that. I mean, the, I, I separately have a bill before the New South Wales Parliament we want to move on next week, which will um, fundamentally change the way in which police undertake strip searches, prohibit strip searching kids, um, require far more stringent tests before drug dog searches can be done. But that this proposal before the government doesn't do that, but you would hope the police would see it as an indication from society more broadly, you know, to pull back from the aggressive over-policing and, and to um, stop putting people through the criminal justice system because they've got one joint or a couple of bills on them. And lastly, David, how likely is it that these changes will pass through the parliament as they stand? Um, well, well, we haven't seen the bill yet. Um, there's still a, a fight inside the cabinet, from what I can tell, on Monday. So I, we've got a um, we've got a, a rally and a protest tomorrow afternoon, 2:30 p.m. at Town Hall in Sydney, Sunday, uh, where we're you know asking young people in particular to come out and show their support for, for, for rational, intelligent uh, drug law reforms. I think the more pressure we put on the government, um, um, you know, the more likely we are to get a successful set of reforms and to start and continue that movement for drug law reform more broadly. Uh, my hope is that they'll settle on at least a compromise deal. And then even though it's well short of perfect, the numbers will be there to put it through Parliament early next year. David, thank you so much for your time. My pleasure. Good speaking.
That was State Greens MP and Sniffoff founder David Shoebridge. We chatted about the New South Wales government's proposed changes around drug possession. Stay tuned because after the break, we're speaking to the head of Harm Reduction Australia, Gino Van Booker, about where we are with pill testing. But first, a song. This is the new track by Young Franco, uh, who's teamed up with Denzel Curry and Pell. You know, we had we had falafels together once. No, at Bondi Market. This is my this is my claim to fame. Anyway, here's falling apart. Listening to FBI. As we move into the summer festival season with restrictions easing, we're once again seeing the push to implement pill testing in New South Wales. A study released last month revealed that nearly two-thirds of Australians support pill testing at music festivals, but progress on the issue has gone cold, even after the New South Wales coroner recommended implementing it across the state last year. With the debate over drug depenalisation bubbling again, we're joined by spokesperson for Pill Testing Australia and the head of Harm Reduction Australia, Gino Van Booker. Content warning on this one, this segment will discuss overdosing and drug-related deaths. Gino, thanks for joining us. Oh, good morning. Pleasure. So earlier we discussed about the depenalisation of drug offences in New South Wales. Will pill testing come up in these reforms? Um, possibly. Uh, I mean, it would make our job a lot easier to implement pill testing at festivals and in other health settings, um, which we've done in the ACT previously. Uh, one of the impediments to people using the service is obviously they're carrying an illegal substance. So in the ACT, when we ran the two trials at the Grooving the Move Festival, we had arrangements with the ACT police and the government about allowing us to operate and not targeting people using our service, which you know they do for other services like... Uh, middle and syringe programs, methadone programs, and in Sydney and in Melbourne, the injecting rooms. And what's the latest advice Harm Reduction Australia has given the government on pill testing? We've recently asked them to reconsider uh, their opposition to it. Um, You mentioned the coronial report that Harriet Graham did. There's also a report that was commissioned by the New South Wales Premier where she handpicked the chair, Dan Howard, in a special commission, and they recommended pill testing be implemented as well. So, in the weight of, given the weight of all this evidence and work that's been undertaken, and I would say at a cost of millions of dollars to the taxpayers, for the government to just turn around and say, uh, no, there's not enough evidence, we don't support it, is simply ridiculous. Over 60% of Australians support the policy of pill testing. So, why is there so much political opposition over drug checking? We're caught in this sort of uh, weird trap with drug and alcohol use, particularly drug use, in that there's this ideology and morality that surrounds a debate about health issues. Uh, Look, it's not... uh, You wouldn't have people, politicians, intervening in other forms of treatment and services to improve health, uh, particularly the mental health. They don't intervene in particular programs and the like. But for some reason, because of the morality that surrounds drug use and the preconceived ideals and ideas that people have, the politicians feel quite comfortable in deciding what can and can't be a health intervention. It's, and, and they're also, they're often the outer step with what the community actually wants. And the best uh, example I can give is when you look at marriage equality. I mean, obviously there was widespread support in the community, but yet most of our parliaments, uh, the members of parliament were opposed to it. And it took a long time for them to come on board with where the community standard and belief was. And you know, and I think that's being replicated at the moment with pill testing. 
So despite the lack of policy around safe, accessible pill testing, a wide variety of DIY pill testing kits can be bought online. Do you think they're a safe alternative? Look, they're an alternative. Uh, I wouldn't declare them safe. They're safer than doing nothing. Um, basically, we, we have to accept that they're available and that people will use them because they don't have access to any other service. So uh, under that, because of the, what the current regime and system is, then that's a better option than doing nothing, as I say. But it, it's quite an anomaly that you have the government's opposing field testing in our service where we use state-of-the-art equipment provide health intervention and advice to people directly uh, and they're opposed to that, won't provide us any funding or support or even allow us to operate if we, you know, we do it free of charge we've offered our service free of charge to the government and the patrons, you know, from donations and, and philanthropic support government's opposed that, yet with the take home testing they're subject to GST and taxation and revenue for governments yet they're quite happy to take a share and a cut of that even though it's a lesser standard to what we're offering this is Backchat on FBI Radio. We're talking to Gino Vumbaka from Pill Testing Australia about the practice of drug checking and whether it has a future in New South Wales. So, Gino, if music festivals do start up again without pill testing in place, are we just going to see more overdoses and deaths this summer? Well, we hope not, but unfortunately, the you know, there's no way of predicting what will happen at festivals, and, and certainly we're... I think there are many months off seeing large festivals operating again, hopefully sooner rather than later. But the reality is that if you look at any risk management profile of festivals without pill testing, certainly there's a higher risk of drug-related incidents and overdoses and fatalities. That's just the reality, that if we're not there or a service uh, you know, can operate, operate pill testing and interact with punters there who have already committed to using a drug because they've entered the festival carrying drugs and about to use it our service in a way says just pause come and talk to us first so you know what you're actually going to do and what the risks and potential harms are and what to do if there's a problem so if our service isn't there then it's logical that the level of risk goes up at festivals but you also have cases where people panic and swallow their drugs to avoid being caught at music festivals so how does policing need to be changed to stop overdoses well, one of the key recommendations from the coronial report and the special commission was to, was to remove the practice of drug detection dogs at the festival gates. There are unfortunately recorded cases now of fatalities where young people approaching the festival were carrying a, a pill for themselves or a couple of pills and some for other people that they've got, friends are going to meet there, panicked, swallowed everything, overdosed and died. That's what happened. That's what some parents and families had to face up to, that they panic in the face of seeing the drug detection dogs. Uh, I mean, the use of these dogs is, is unnecessary. Uh, uh, what they're doing is catching people who are uh, using for personal use and, you know, very far down the pecking order and chain. They're not used in the ACT festivals and they still are able to police and, and have se secure and safe events. And, and the thought well, not the thought, but the reality is that, you know, people are, are stopped on the street in New South Wales, in Sydney in particular, for, you know, train stations and other and bus stations and like, and have drug detection dogs in a strip search. So, I mean, it's just such an invasion of privacy. And, and, and just to finish on that, uh, you may recall, or your listeners will recall, you know, recently in Qatar Airlines, Airways, there was this outcry in parliaments and in the media about how they're, you know, strip searching of passengers going because there was concern about uh, a baby that was found or a fetus that was found in the, in the airport. Yet 
This happens routinely to young people at festivals, at bus stations, at train stations, are strip searched by police. Yet there's no outcry about that, yet somehow people can't see the, the, the similarity between uh, what is occurring here. That's a great comparison, Gino. Um, are there any other events or spaces that would benefit from drug checking? Well, we're in discussion, it's publicly known this has been uh, fairly open in the media in Canberra and the ACT, that we're in discussions with government about establishing what we're calling, and they're calling a fixed site service within a health setting. So that means within a public health setting, we would operate uh, two or three nights a week for limited hours to provide that regular service to people. So that people, our argument is that people shouldn't have to attend a festival to access pill testing services. There are, you know, people use drugs and pills outside of festivals and it shouldn't be a one-off event uh, uh, limited to people who are able and, you know, are willing to purchase a ticket to a festival to access health service. It should be a public health service available to all members of the community. And lastly, what can we all do to ensure that the pill testing uh, becomes a reality in New South Wales? Well, we have to keep pressure on the government. We're looking at... uh, different campaign strategies and and looking how we ramp up pressure on governments to do it. Uh, We're fortunate enough to have the support of the ACT government in particular, which helps us, and we'll just keep demonstrating the evidence. What I would encourage listeners to do is to contact the local MP or visit our Pill Testing Australia website to find out about what we do, help us out, volunteer, contribute, donate, whatever you you want to do, you know, or can afford. That's all helpful. Um, And we just have to keep pressuring the government to start to make decisions that are in line with community expectations and needs. And, and as I said, going back earlier to the, the marriage equality debate, you know, we just have to keep pushing our politicians to actually listen to us. Let's hoping they really do listen to us sooner than later. Thanks so much for being on the show, Gina. Pleasure. Thanks very much. And we've got a few texts texts about our drug episode today. Let's hear them. Bella from Petersham says, I can't wait for festivals, but I'm scared about being caught with illegal things. Hopefully police help us not to punish us. And Tom from Blacktown has texted in saying, three strikes policy is weak. Cops have too much power and discretion. Time to defund them and divert the funds to marginalised communities. Uh, thank you so much for your texts. If you agree or don't agree, please do text us in on 0409 945 945 or you can always tweet us at FBI. And that's all we have on have time for on the show this week. A massive thank you to our guests, David Chubridge and Gino Vumbaka. This episode of Backchat was brought to you by our producers, Charles Rushforth, Eamon Snow, Millie Roberts, Nikki Ilyagoyeva and Rebecca Manibok. We'll catch you next week, 9.30am, Saturday morning. But before we go, here's another Aussie banger. This one's called Fever Break and it's by Odette and Hermitude. Have a great weekend, guys. Bye. Her hair ablaze with organs.